Welcome to the Grow My Salon Business podcast, where we focus on the business side of hairdressing. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and I'll be talking to thought leaders in the hairdressing industry, discussing insightful, provocative, and inspiring ideas that matter. So get ready to learn, get ready to be challenged, get ready to be inspired, and most importantly, get ready to grow your salon business. Hey, it's Anthony here and welcome to today's podcast. As many of you know, I've been in the industry for a long time and I'd like to think that I know a lot about all things to do with hair and hairdressing. But amongst the many areas I don't know a lot about or that I haven't had a lot of practical hands-on exposure to is the hair extensions side of the industry. I remember in the early 80s when extensions first started to become a thing, but it has certainly changed dramatically since then and has become a significant part of the industry. My guest on today's podcast is Emily Hadrill. She is the leading provider of premium extensions in Australia and has four salons across Brisbane, Melbourne, the Gold Coast and Sydney and is generating in excess of $6 million a year in sales. In today's podcast, we will discuss how to work with extensions, how Emily has grown and successfully expanded her business and why and how you should or could start integrating extensions into your salon business and lots more. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Emily. Hey, hi, Anthony. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. It's really good to have you here. So, Emily, you've built up a business around an area of the hairdressing industry that I don't actually know a lot about, or I know about it, but I don't have any practical experience in it. So I'm really looking forward to learning more myself, and I'm sure that a lot of our listeners are too. So I just want to start off by putting everything into context as to what you have achieved so far. And uh, that is that you've built a salon business across three different states in Australia. You've got four salons in total. And you're Australia's leading provider of premium hair extensions. And your business currently generates over $6 million in sales from those four salons, which is impressive in any language. And on top of that, you took the opportunity during COVID to have two children during uh, COVID. They're 16 months apart. And that is some great time management right there. So uh, well done about that. So I'm also intrigued by the fact that you've got into this industry and you're not actually a hairdresser. So let's start off with that. Tell us how you decided to uh, to get into the hairdressing business. Yeah. Um, so, well, I kind of grew up with hairdressing in my family and in my blood, I guess. My mum was a hairdresser and owned her own salon. Um, she sold that when my oldest, when my younger sister was born. So um I sort of grew up with with that mum doing all our cuts and doing you know nan's perm perms at home and stinking out the whole house and all that so I I did grow up with it a little bit but when I finished year 12 and was trying to work out what to do I had done a business certificate um and I really didn't know which direction I was going to go in whether I was always interested in beauty and hair so it was sort of leaning into that direction but I actually uh, got I've got very fine hair and I got hair extensions myself and this is 2007 so we're going back about 15 years I got hair extensions in myself and I just was like wow this is finally I've got some beautiful hair and I was really lucky the salon that I uh, went to for hair extensions was actually a trainer educator as well and ran courses so that's how I got into it I decided to uh, I, I decided I wanted to do this course and see what that led to. And at the time, I didn't really think it would be necessarily my business. I just thought it was interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember going to my my dad and said, you know, could I, I hadn't gone to uni. My sisters both went to uni. And um, I remember going to dad and saying, oh, you know, could I, could I borrow $2,000 to do this course? I was 19. So I was yeah. like, can I borrow $2,000? I'll pay you back. I really want to do this course. And he'd say, what do you want to do a bloody hair extension course for? <laughs> like, <laughs> he's probably wanting me to go into medicine or something. And I was okay. like, no, no, I really want, I'm interested in this. And um, anyway, so I, I did the course and that's how it kind of got me into it. Okay. Well, 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 I want to go back to something you glossed over there was you, you said yep. um, that you finished secondary school and you did a certificate in business. So so what was yep. that? That was like tertiary education. You did a one-year course yeah. that was in business. You didn't yeah. know what it was you do it for, but it was just 
some grounding, yeah? That's right, yeah, yeah, it was exactly that. I was working doing office administration um, and during the time during office administration for about a year I did the study on the side, which was TAFE in Australia. Yeah. Right, okay. So did that have an impact on you as a, as a you know, when you looked at, well, further on, when you looked at the idea of going into business and stuff, did that business background, spending a year getting some fundamentals and business in place, w- was that helpful? Um, I think that it's like anything with um, that. It's theory versus practical, right? So yeah. far more learnings from from experiences than on the job. Yeah. Um, and it's so long ago, 15 years, that I feel like I don't even remember what I learned in that and how applicable it became. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm sure it, it probably even just gave me the confidence uh, sure, a little yeah. bit to start something that I wouldn't have had otherwise. Uh, so no regrets in doing it. And as I said, it was sort of part-time while I worked, so it wasn't a big commitment. Um, so no regrets in doing it. But, oh, okay. yeah, it, yeah, yeah, probably a fairly basic course though yeah but i always think you know when when you know i mean i'm a hairdresser i didn't do any tertiary education i opened a business with no business knowledge etc and so you know you learn and you learn fast or you don't survive but um you know when i look back at it i think wow that is such a a weak spot for so many salon owners is they have no real idea of what they're getting into. So, you know, any business background training um, it has got to be a good thing, um, you know, rather than not. The, the, the other thing I want to go back to, which I, I thought was interesting, where, you, you know, you said your own experience as a client that you had, you know, really fine hair and stuff. Um, and, you know, so hair extensions were something that, that, you know, you were drawn towards and experienced before you had a business or before you even knew how to do this. So I just want to ask you, as, as, a, as a young woman, as a client, what was your frustration with hairdressers and salons? Was there a particular um, that- thing that... Um, I think back then um, hair extensions were, obviously it's come a long way since back then. So at the time there wasn't really a lot on offer with hair extensions. Yeah. Um, it was um, either really expensive or really cheap, I guess, which yeah. probably hasn't changed much. There's still a little bit of that. But um, there wasn't a lot on offer and there wasn't anyone that, there wasn't many people that really specialised in it at yeah. all. So I was, I guess, quite lucky to kind of be on the Gold Coast and happen to have someone that was specialising in it. They also weren't doing any other services. They were only hair extensions as well, interestingly, which is how I started. Um, So, yeah, I mean, as a 19-year-old, I probably hadn't actually gone to that many salons, actually. (laughs) Uh, I wouldn't have had much money at all. So I wasn't um, that experienced in going to salons. And my, as I said, my mum was the hairdresser. So she did a lot of my my hair cuts while going through school and things. But yeah. Okay. And so you, you go into the salon that specialised already in hair, in hair yep. extensions and, and you're yes. a client and you walk out the door with a head full of extensions going, happy days. I've, I've like mm-hmm. achieved something which I never thought was possible and i mean obviously you know there's i was talking to my wife about this and you know obviously for a lot of women that have got fine thin hair or they can't get it past their you know shoulders or whatever and they spend all their life trying to grow it and then all of a sudden they get quality hair extensions and it's like it's like the new me you know it's like oh my god i never realized i could i could be this person or or feel like this because you know, long hair makes a woman feel a, a different certain way. Uh, I don't know where the hell I'm going with this question, but um, that was you. You were that person who walked out the door. You still weren't a hairdresser, but you were, had a, now an interest in it. And so you then yeah. you went, was it that same salon that offered courses? Yes, it was. Yep. And, and so the fact that you weren't a hairdresser wasn't an odd thing in their eyes that you wanted to do a course on this? Correct, yeah. I'm in Queensland where it was a little bit easier to get yeah. involved in the hairdressing industry. Um, and that's right. They, I believe, um, they were hairdressers that chose to specialise in extensions, but they obviously, they're a business, they were trying to sell their courses. So yeah, they yeah. were quite happy to have me do the course. And, and I think a lot of people at the time 
uh, were doing these courses and it might not have turned into anything at all in terms sure. of having a business. Yeah, um, yeah. I certainly didn't think that it was going to at the time. It was more out of interest and let's see, you know, maybe I can do some do some of my friends or, you know, yeah. friends and family. Kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. How long does it take to learn? Oh, well, it's like, you know, you could do a one-day course and pick up the basics and then you're really going to need, you know, a lot of clients to perfect your skills. But, um, yeah, I mean, it depends. now there's a lot more methods. Back then it was really just uh, what we call eye tips, microbeads. Yeah. So looping, looping the hair through the little threader and pulling the hair through and then putting your extension tip in and clamping it. So it takes a good um, probably, you know, day or two to get the – the hand movements right and everything um and then it's just practice working out you know what placement i put what works for different client head you know shapes and colors and that sort of thing just from experience you're going to learn yeah okay and so what did you then start working in that salon as as an extension yeah, so, oh, you did right yeah okay. after the um after the course that certainly wasn't what the intention is you do the course and go on your merry way but i was lucky enough that they said you sort of seem to pick that up really quickly and would you like to um, work for us on uh, Saturdays because I was still working at the time in the in the office administration job. So they offered me Saturday work, which I, um, which I took and worked for them for a few months. Um, and I said to them, look, you know, I would love to turn this into a business. So I went in with just that, you know, um, letting them know that first. Uh, so when I started to do uh, friends and family, they weren't they knew what up they knew what was going on. That was no problem, and yeah. I phased that out, and kept a relationship with them, so that was all fine. So yeah, that's how I kind of got started. Okay, so so what was the 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 sort of catalyst? When did you know it was time to open your own business? I was doing friends and family that started to snowball from friends referring friends. Of course, I was doing this at home. I'd set up a spare room. Um, professionally in uh, my house and when it got to the point of uh, getting some momentum that's when I thought I'll get something very small uh, locally I'll get something really small and fit it out as just a sort of two chair um, salon for myself Uh, at the time I didn't need basins because I said they weren't tape extensions or anything they were just um, using the beads so I didn't need basins so it was a really quite an easy setup and it was a very small space to start with. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. I mean, I know, um, I know of some other people who do extensions in the UK who have also come into it via a similar path to what you in that they're not hairdressers, uh, but they could see a the business opportunity and and you know they learned how to do extensions. But um, and you sort of just touched on this then. You said you know didn't need basins, etc. And one of the big challenges that they had with their business was that learning to put extensions in was one thing, but learning to cut hair and blend extensions in was a whole nother area completely. Um, so so how did you how did you overcome that side of things? That was a real um, challenge with confidence because it's sort of like that imposter syndrome where you think, oh, I shouldn't be doing this because I haven't had the training and I don't know if I'm doing a good job. Yeah. Um, and I, I was taught and I was taught with a razor, which I think was a little bit easier. Um, but I still remember absolutely freaking out if I had someone come in with short hair, really short hair, short layers. And I knew that when I put those extensions in, I'd have to do a lot of blending work to make it look natural. Yeah. And that's when I would get really nervous. But, um, you know, I, the more I did that, the more experienced I got. I had a, a girlfriend who was a hairdresser that would train me as well. So I sort of just learnt that way um, and just the more I did it, um, the more experienced I got, obviously, and it was fine. And I also maybe had a somewhat natural ability from my mum's hairdressing background. I don't know. Okay. It seemed to come yeah, yeah. It seemed to yeah. come fine for me. I never had any, you know, I never had any complaints. Like obviously I grew the business on my own at the start to being to the point where I could not service all the clients. So I knew confidence grew over time once because I knew I was doing something fine. Yeah. <laughs> it was okay. Yeah. So as I said, I've never done extensions. I've, 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 you know, I've had someone in my salon who did extensions for a while there, but I've never been someone who's actually done them. So uh, I'm curious about, you know, what you said about the razor. Is it best to use a razor when you're doing extensions in terms of blending it into natural hair? 
I just found it quicker um, because if you take a, that sort of baseline with the scissors, then the extensions can look very choppy at the ends yeah. in a blunt cut setting. So um, you're then cutting that line but then having to chip away at it to create that bit more natural uh, ends. So I found using a razor, the problem was, or not the problem, but the thing is you have to obviously change your blade so often because it blunts mm. it with thick hair really quickly. So I found using a razor would actually just create a far softer look at the ends of the hair, which means it's quicker because you're not going back and chipping into that sort of baseline on the extensions. Right. Okay. What, what about the colour uh, side of extensions, you know, compared to working on a, you know, on a head of hair that isn't extensions, what, what, what are some of the things that are are different or is it just not different it's human hair and so you treat it exactly the same way talk to me about that yeah i mean it's um definitely got its extra challenges because it can react differently to the natural hair depending on what you know how it's come being processed different hair brands and that kind of thing um i think once with our hairdressers once they've got used to the different things that work they've they've just they've got full confidence in it um, always obviously better to work with a brand that has a lot of colour offerings though. That's yeah. probably a big thing. We use a brand called Jador and they've got, so the Jador hair supplies and they've got plenty of um, colour offerings and that makes it that little bit easier. They've got balayage options. So you're doing less colouring, but we do find that most of our clients do like a, maybe it's a custom colour root stretch to blend through the tops of the extensions. So that we're often doing colouring on them. Um, and a good quality product will react well with uh, with colour still. Right. Okay. Now, I know you mentioned, um, uh, excuse my ignorance, something microbeads. Uh, microbeads, is that what you said? Uh, as, a, as, a, as a method of uh, hair extensions. And obviously, there are different techniques, different methods for um, application. Um, is Do you choose what method you're going to use based on price or is it just personal preference or is it based on like ease of of you know putting them in speed etc what, what's tom talk to us about that uh, i think best case scenario is if you are able to offer multiple methods because you're really choosing the method based on the client's um preferences lifestyle uh those sort of things so um the best case scenario is to be in a position to be able to have multiple methods, your, your staff trained in multiple me methods, have them on, on hand, whether you have to order the certain colours, that's fine, but to be able to um, easily order those methods in because really you're choosing um, for the client. The price is around the same, whichever method you go for, I've found, so mm -hmm. I don't really um, find it based on price. It's just you might have a client that has had tape before and they hate the idea of tape in their hair. Yeah. Um, and I have one that goes to the gym a, a heap and swims a lot. So, you know, tape might not be good for them, but someone might have a weft and they hate the weft and they want tape. So it's each of them have their pros and cons. Um, microbeads have lost popularity in Australia and have been taken over with tape and weft, definitely. Mm -hmm. But I know I think um, microbeads are still quite popular in the UK, perhaps. But, yeah, it's more based on the client rather than what the salon wants to do, although I'm sure there's some salons that prefer, for example, not to use tape because they are a little bit more um, sticky with the maintenance that you have yeah. to do. Yeah. Sticky. Okay. And and things like what you just mentioned with, um, you know, swimming, going to the gym, all that sort of stuff, it, is it once you've got good extensions put in that you can just treat it as normal hair? Like you don't have to, oh, my gosh, I can't go swimming or I can't go into a chlorinated pool or, you know, is, does that happen or is it? No, no, no. Extensions now with the techniques we've got now, if they're done by somebody who knows what they're doing, it should not impact negatively on all that side of things. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty much fine. I'd say you can do sort of everything at 80%. If you're going swimming, you might sort of, try i personally avoid getting them wet just because i cannot be bothered with the process of the time drying them and <laughs> and getting them back nice looking again but if someone enjoys swimming there's no reason why you can't um chlorine can be a bit of a problem so you'd need to use sort of products pre-swimming on in chlorine um blonde hair for the most part especially gym that kind of thing no i mean i go to the gym every day i have tape and weft combination in my hair I go to the gym every day, sweat, no problem. It's just 
it's just that little bit of extra maintenance, really. It's just you have, might have to wash your hair that a little bit more often, and that's the right. time. The, the downside is the time that it takes. Yeah, um, yeah. But the biggest thing as well is using the right products. That's the main thing. Right, okay. Well, you just said something then which surprised me. You said I've got tape and weft combination. It never occurred to me that you yep. might have a mixture of the two. Is there a reason why you might do that or, or were you just wanting yep. to experiment? Um, so with, for my hair type, for example, I've got quite short layers around my face. So I don't like to, and it's very fine. So I don't like to bring a weft too close around the front of my face. So I have my wefts. I've got two rows of wefts. They sort of sit in the back of my head and add this really nice thickness and they're quite layered in. And then I use the uh, their four centimetre wide invisible tapes and they're a bit more discreet and a bit more flexible because they're only four centimetres wide and I have them around sort of the crown of my head. I've got two at the very bottom. Um, so I don't have to bring the wefts as close to the sort of the perimeters and the hairline. Yeah. And if, if you're a client who's getting extensions for the first time, um, how long do they last typically? Uh, if someone looks after their extensions, nine to 12 months on average, um, coming back every sort of six to eight weeks to have them uh, maintained, pushed up. Okay. All right. That's interesting. And, and and you also mentioned earlier on, you said, depending on the quality of the hair. Uh, now, I know that all the hair you use is, is um, you know, human hair. Um, yep. And so you often hear stories, and I'm not very well informed on this, so please, you know, give me some leeway there. <laughs> you often hear stories about where the hair comes from, um, you know, uh, and and I've, I read on your website somewhere that Russian hair is the best, best quality or whatever. Uh, I know there's also hair that comes from, you know, China, India, whatever. Uh, and obviously, um, for a European market where you're wanting a lot more blonde hair, et cetera, then I'm imagining that's part of the reason why you're talking about Russian hair, for example, being, you know, better quality because it doesn't have to have been pre-treated and pre-lightened as much. Is Am I am I on the right track with that or not? Yeah, yeah. Um, definitely the less processing that the hair has to go through, the the better it will last. So, yes, when you're talking about blondes, They'll dry out very quickly if they're if they've had to go through so much processing. Then yeah. they go through obviously our our wear and tear once they're installed in our hair. Yeah. That's a lot. Um, okay. Any any hair type could be beautiful. We've used Indian hair back a long time ago, um, and that and it certainly lasted very nicely, and that's fine as well. But um, we find that the hair we're using at the moment is really really nice for all hair colors. Yeah. Okay. So where where is it sourced from? Is it like is it Russian, all Russian hair that you use or? Yeah, so we, we um, our salons use a brand called Jador Hair Supplies and they have all Russian hair there. I'm just trying to think if their clip-ins are Russian as well. All the permanent methods are. So, yeah, that's what we select to use and that's available. That they make the weft, they make uh, wefts, miracle wefts, which are a really fine track weft. Yeah. Um, tape, classic tapes, invisible tapes and microbeads as well. Right. And clip-in, okay. etc. Yeah. 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 All right. And and what sort of um, price range, uh, you know, are extensions in, in your salons? I know you've got high-end salons. I know you position yourself as the premium provider. Um, so, so what is a typical sort of price range that you find, you know, the average client's paying uh, for hair extensions? Okay. So if they're going for a classic method, which would be a classic weft or a classic tape, um, which is basically where the bond isn't um, as premium, I guess. I can talk more about bonds, but the classic version of a tape is uh, around $600 for 100 grams. Then if you go for an invisible method, which just means that, for example, in the tape, the hair is all hand sewn into the bond, so it's a, bit, a lot more discreet. Mm. Um, that would be more like your eight nine $900 for 100 grams. And 100 grams, a lot of people only ever used to get 100 grams. It was considered a full head. Yeah. Um, but I feel like now the average client gets 150 at any day of the week, 150, because most right. people like that extra fullness. If they're going for, you know, length, if they're just adding some around the hairline or something, they might do 75 or hundred grams, but otherwise most people are getting 150. I wear uh, 200 grams in my hair. 
Um, so we've got clients. We've had a client put in 500 grams in their hair once. Well, okay. So I, I noticed, okay, so you're talking in, in terms of grams. As a, as, a, yep. as a novice, I don't know what that means. Uh, I've looked on your website. I've looked at your price list. I think the the highest price I saw was, you know, $2,700 or it was, was right up there. Um, yep. What does, like, that's obviously the top end for, for long hair and for a lot of grams. <laughs> yes. Um, yep. what, what would the average client's bill be? So over $1,000? Yeah, I'm going to say the average is about, uh, for a new set of extensions, it would average out at about 1000 about a thousand. Okay. So, so when, when I see something for two and a half grand or whatever, what's that person had done? That one might be getting a premium weft and they'd be getting a lot of hair. So they'd be getting more of that sort of 200 plus grams of hair. Right. Okay. Uh, now for our international audience, um, obviously we are talking uh, in terms of Australian dollars. And I just did a quick conversion before I jumped on this call. A hundred Australian dollars is 68 US dollars uh, or 58 um, UK pounds. Um, so just to give that a little bit of um, you know perspective there. Um, yep. So who who is the typical client? I mean, I started hairdressing the, I hate even saying this out loud, <laughs> at the end of the 70s. Uh, and I moved to London in 1980. And in the very early 80s, there was a gentleman called Simon Forbes. And he was the first one I knew of who was doing extensions um, in the 80s at, at a salon called Antenna. And this was very much the sort of Boy George Culture Club synthetic hair dreadlock type extension so that's what the to my in my world that was the first sort of incantation of hair extension so you weren't seeing it at all as a commercial beauty thing it was like a fashion statement um i know obviously that it is not like that anymore uh, so talk to us about who is the typical client what sort of age are they and 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 what is it that they're looking for? Is it just they're wanting change at the snap of their fingers or is it because they've got such fine hair like you did and you just couldn't get, you know, volume and length, et cetera? So talk to us about that. It's definitely a big range for us. We have, um, we, I guess our main clientele is probably sitting in that mid-20s, mid-20s age bracket and they are getting it because they've seen it on social media, seen the cha transformations, mostly for length and thickness, sometimes for adding colour without having to colour their hair, mm. but mostly length and thickness. So, and then it's like anything, what you promote, you attract. So that's what we sort of advertise. We don't advertise a lot of uh, adding extensions just for thickness around the face or anything like that, but we do get clients and it might be, you know, a lot of clients of ours, then they, their mum might come in if they're thinning around the face and then get just get some put in around their face. But for us, it's mostly uh, the girls wanting to sort of glam up their hair a lot and add that length and thickness in. Right. Okay. I'm, I'm also interested, uh, our international audience won't necessarily know what the Gold Coast is like. Um, the Gold Coast, if you're American, the Gold Coast is like talking about Miami or Florida in general. Um, it's It's got a great climate. There's a great outdoors. There's, you know, plenty of time at the beach. Um, lots of, you know, fit, healthy looking bodies around the place. Now, I know that you then expanded and you went to uh, Sydney, you went to Melbourne, you went to Brisbane. And Melbourne, for example, is not like Florida. You know, it's a very different sort of environment. Again, any difference in the type of clientele that you'd attract in both markets? We haven't found that, actually. And it's interesting. Okay. We always thought, oh, we're going to have all the blondes on the Gold Coast and the brunettes in Melbourne. And it's, we actually don't. So it's, it sometimes surprises us. Yeah, well, that's interesting. That surprises me too because I, I always, yeah. I, I know there's an interesting fact about Melbourne that Melbourne is the second largest Greek city in the world uh, outside of Athens. It has such a yeah. you know Mediterranean population, which a lot of people are surprised about. So as soon as you say Greeks and Italians, etc., you obviously are thinking a lot more brunettes. So that's interesting that it's not like that. Um, so what is the repeat business like for hair extension clients? Because I'm imagining 
that it's a bit of a drug that once you've had extensions, you just, you know, you've got to go back and get more. Is, am I right with that assumption or not? Absolutely. Absolutely. Hellishly addictive. <laughs> yes. Um, and the great thing about offering it is that they really need to come back to have them pushed up for the safety of their own hair. Yeah. They can't, um, if they let them just grow out weeks and weeks on end, like about six weeks is where you should be starting to come back in. Yeah. Um, if they're left to grow out, then there's just not enough of the natural hair holding onto the extension. So that will result in the breakage. Yeah. So uh, obviously educating them on that means that they're going to come back in. They automatically have that sort of loyalty to you because you've placed the extensions in a certain way. So they're more likely to want to come back to you, not go somewhere else, even if there might be, you know, somewhere cheaper, they're going to most likely come back to you because you started the job, you know? Yeah. Um, so the repeat business is amazing and they're going to do that sort of every six to eight weeks for, as I said, the hair will generally last that sort of nine to 12 months. We find most of our clients change them over around that nine month mark, but certainly we've got ones that go up to like a year and a half. And so they really become such a highly um, repetitive retention client, which is awesome. Yeah, that's fantastic. So, so nine months they keep the original extensions in but as a ballpark, mm. uh, and during yep. that time they're in every six weeks for maintenance. Mm. What did you say to push them up? That what you said? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. As they're growing out, as your natural hair grows, we need okay. to take them out and reapply uh, them back towards the base of the hair, taking new hair. Okay, is that a you know time-consuming process? Um, it's. It can be if um, someone is new to it, but yeah. once someone's got the knack of it, it's sort of depending on the method and the amount of hair, obviously, it's around a two to three hour appointment. Most of our clients will, most of our clients come to us firstly because they've seen our advertising for extensions, mm. but then they'll um, get their colour service done with us as well because, of course, it's a lot quicker if we can do the colour in combination with the maintenance service. Yeah. So cool. it's actually a great way to to get new clients across a range of services by getting yeah. them in for extensions. Do, do the majority of them have colour as well? Or are you are you mixing ready lightened hair into their natural colour? Uh, most of them are having their own hair touched up anyway. Um, right. Obviously, if they're just, you know, you know, a straight brunette and they're not needing that, then that, that would be the exception. But... For anyone that's highlighting their hair, they're going to get their their you know their roots touched up while they're in there as well. Sure, okay. and we, we always match the extensions to the ends of the natural hair. Right. Okay. Got it. All right. Now I know I'm right in saying, aren't I, that you no longer work on the floor? That's correct, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. Right. Okay. So I want to I want to talk to you about your you know your involvement in business. You touched on it before, where you. You know, you, you got a little space and dipped a toe in the water and started doing, you know, friends and family and, and recommendations in there. Um, and that was right from the get-go, something that you wanted to do, that you knew you wanted this to be a business. What, what do you wish you'd known before you opened the business? From a business perspective, was there anything that you thought, gosh, I wish I'd known about this or about that? Probably so many things, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, I probably... I probably wish I knew sooner to delegate more. Um, I think that most of my success and business growth has come since I've actually effectively delegated rather than trying to do it all myself. So if I'd known that and done that a lot sooner, um, I probably would have gone further sooner. Yeah, that's probably the, one of the biggest things I'd say. Okay. All right. So, so, so talk to us a little bit about what that first couple of years was like in business. Uh, that was me on my own for the first couple of years doing sort of 12-hour days in the in the sort of small salon that I had. After probably a year and a half, I think it was, I hired someone to help me out who also wasn't a hairdresser. It was a friend of a friend to do uh, to help me with the clients that I had. Um, and then after about two, I'm trying to remember, about two years in is when I um, needed to hire more people, but was running out of room in that salon. So I went to look at a bigger, a much bigger space so that I was able, I decided at that point that I wanted to, if I was going to hire more people, I thought I need to hire hairdressers and be able to um, extend the offering, obviously, and be able to do colour and, 
and mm-hmm. offer all services of hairdressing. So I went to I went to look at um, a big salon space, and it was probably it was biting off a lot. I remember I said to my again I said to my dad like. I'm going to take this space and he came and had a look at it with me just to give his opinion and he said, oh, well, why don't you just take half of it because that's a that's a lot. You don't know if it's going to be busy enough really to have that much. And I said, no, I'd, I've got the vision for it. I think it'll work really well. I'm going to have, you know, the basins and I'm going to have hairdressers working here and it's going to work. Oh, God, I hope it's going to work. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, did, I just took the leap. Uh, everything I've done has been very calculated a low risk um but that that first probably leap was uh, maybe one of the biggest I'm not sure but I just had young naive probably confidence and took the whole shop and and then worked worked like crazy to make it work and yeah so I started hiring hairdressers uh and then we were offering everything and that was that was definitely the right move to do yeah so when you started hiring hairdressers, I noticed before you said your first employee also wasn't a hairdresser, and then yeah. and then you expanded and you're starting to hire hairdressers. Um, what challenges did that present? Because now you're a full service salon, so to speak, you know, cutting and colouring, um, not just doing extensions. Were there any problems? around that with with them sort of thinking well you don't understand you're not a hairdresser were there were there any, were there any problems you know that, that came out of that no no I didn't have that actually I I've always had many ama- amazing staff members over the over the years but the the girls that I, a couple of girls that I had as the first staff are still friends to this day and no they were just amazing people and um, there was no, there was none of that at all. Actually, there's been times over the years where I've, I've been like, you know, my husband or something will come in and point to the color rack and go, oh, so what does, what does that seven point two or oh two mean or something? And I said, don't ask me, don't ask me, I don't bloody know. <laughs> and I, and I probably, I think, oh, I probably should have stopped and you know spent the time and learned a bit more than what I have. But it was just, it's just been. Um, you know, just crazy growing it over the years. So I haven't even had time to stop with that. And even though they were at the start, you know, bringing hairdressers in, they were doing those services, but we were still, and we still are predominantly a hair extension salon. We're known for our hair extension. So it was probably more the opposite that they looked to me to go, oh, I want to learn how you do these extensions Okay, so you've got that one salon on the Gold Coast going, you know, extremely well. You've built it up over a a year or so. I don't know how long that took you to do. Um, But then you reach a point where you're thinking, I'm going to expand and I'm going to open another salon. I'm curious as to why you then started thinking I need to be in different states, not just open another salon two miles away. So, so talk to me about your thinking behind that, because now you're in Sydney, Brisbane, Melbourne, Gold Coast. I mean, that's uh, that's a considerable spread. Yes. Yeah. Uh, our first um, secondary salon was Brisbane, which is an hour away from us. So the reason for that was I didn't really ever have the intention of, I didn't go into it thinking I'm going to have salons all around the country. It sounds like a nightmare, which it is now. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it does present it presents a lot of management issues, doesn't it? I it mean, does. I know it, I know lots of people who've got multiple salons who swear by the fact that you should keep them, you know, within one city because it's easy to manage. And as soon as you start spreading them around the country, it presents a lot of challenges in terms of just you know logistics and communication and travel, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, that's what I'm curious about your thinking behind that. Yeah, yeah. The downside, I'll go into it more, but the downside is the slight um, lack of staff retention because you're not there building those relationships and they don't know you as as much as someone that works right next to you. Mm. Um, But we had a lot of clients coming down from Brisbane doing this hour drive to come to us. And um, this is that as uh, 15 years ago, you know, there wasn't a lot of salons specialising in extension. So they weren't choosing to go uh, or weren't able to go to somewhere around their corner in Brisbane. They were doing this drive to us. And as the salon got busier and busier, it was sort of just a natural um, progression to think, well, we have all these clients travelling. Of course, we should, we should bring, we should open, I should open something up there. Uh, and I did it sort of the same way. I did a small salon first, 
sort of I think that was open for two years before we moved into a bigger one. Uh, so it was it was quite small and had just two or three staff to build it up. Um, but it meant obviously those clients that were traveling then went there. Um, and then it was the same kind of thing. We had people flying. It was um, probably all based on social media. If we didn't have social media, it wouldn't have happened because it was obviously would have been harder to expose the brand to people in other cities. Mm. But it was a social media boom, you know, and we were getting inquiries all the time from Sydney and Melbourne. So uh, for some reason, predominantly Melbourne at that point, I so I actually, I'm from Tasmania, at the bottom of Australia originally, and I actually had a salon there, which I've since closed. Um, probably about five years ago, I closed it. But that was my second salon, and I opened that as a very small um, salon that I would actually go back and do clients myself in in Hobart, uh, Tasmania, when I was visiting my fam- when I was visiting you know my family down there. So I kind of did it as a more of a pop up. And I thought, yeah. well, clients only yeah. need to see me every six weeks. It was just for extensions, no colour, obviously. So they only need to see me every six weeks. So I was doing more of a pop-up style salon in, in Hobart. And I did end up opening one there as well, but I closed it down about five years ago. And so I thought with the Melbourne demand, I thought, well, I could do the same thing. I could go down every six weeks and see if I can build up a client base. I'll, um, it, there was no rented chairs back then, so I had to um, hire like an apartment. So <laughs> I was doing an apartment and bringing people up and doing a setup there. Um, and that's how I built it up down there. Once I got to the point of having uh, so many clients that I couldn't service them, I, oh, I brought up my one of my staff members with me in the end. But once it got to that point where we thought, okay, this is a viable business to open now. We've built mm-hmm. up a client base. That's when I opened, again, a small salon. I did it in both locations. Small salon first, wait a couple of years till it's busting at the seams and then and then move to a bigger one. Oh, um, and Sydney, yeah, Sydney, by that point, I went in with a straight away with a bigger salon, the full size. Was obviously, the, the brand itself had the, the reputation, I guess, to be able to just go straight in with in Sydney. But, yeah, the other two were very uh, slow, slow build-ups, I guess. Yeah. Well, what's the key to successful expansion? Um, I mean, I think you've touched on a couple of them already, but um, I'm curious as to how you answer that. You know, you've got now four salons running in different states, running effectively, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and, and growing. So what, what's the key to making that happen? Uh, at the start, I was travelling a lot. I was um, physically present in all of them a lot at the start. And I don't think it would work if you weren't. Uh, so that's probably the biggest thing. Uh, I guess just be like, you really have to have something that's a little bit of a different offering probably because if you're just another salon and um, you've got nothing unique to to what's there already, it could be a bit more of a struggle if you don't have a, a strong brand name or something that's a little bit unique, I guess. Mm-hmm. That's where we were lucky. Um being sort of a, a extension specialist, and there wasn't that around already, so we were sort of, yeah, able to have a, a big, um, I guess, market share in those cities. Yeah, but um, I know from our conversation before we started recording, we were talking about your back office team, and I was blown yeah. away by by that. Uh, so talk to us about your back office structure, the different people you've got, the different positions that you've got. And I know you don't start with that on day one, but it's definitely uh, part of the success of being able to expand is put is recognizing that you need to expand that back office side of things as well. So uh, tell us about the positions that you've got and the people, you know, and what their sort of different roles and responsibilities are. Uh, so as I sort of um, grew from being on the floor to then being um, in management, then my next step was having children. I fell pregnant with my first a few couple of years ago, a few years ago. So then obviously needing to step back myself meant that I was bringing, starting to bring in management, which um, coincided with the time of the salon growing as well to the point of having the four. So it was justified to have, um, you know, a, a national manager who now has a, a PA because 
she's got a lot on her plate. Um, and then we're really strong in our um, marketing uh, with our lead generation, obviously having four salons and needing to keep that many stylists fully booked the whole time. Obviously, there's repeat clientele, but we also have a really strong marketing um, presence uh, across social media, Google kind of thing. So we have a, a marketing manager, we have a graphic designer, we have a videographer, uh, we have a salon concierge. We decided to take the phones out of the, well, they have their phones, but instead of having all the calls go through to each location, they're so busy that that was a little bit of a difficult aspect for them to all be on top of. So we brought in a salon concierge in our head office and they and she takes all the phone calls and does all the outbound calls for the lead generations. So all the, booking, um, all the bookings over the phone are all handled, even yep. though multiple cities, they're all handled by one person and one office. Yes. Okay, cool. That's right. right. Yeah. Good. Good. But yeah, a lot of it's around the marketing team uh, yeah. because, yeah, a lot of that advertising and the website, graphic designer, uh, as I said, videographer, because obviously now with socials, it's just all about creating creating content the whole time. and Yeah getting that content out in a nice, you know, I feel like things have gone far more uh, user-generated content, but you still need to be putting out published content as well. So we have yeah. a uh, four-day-a-week videographer that does all that as well. Okay. So social media is a really important part of your business marketing strategy. A lot of it is like the target market are on Instagram and you spend a lot of time uh, and obviously money um promoting you know by virtue of the fact that you've got a full-time person you know people involved in that side of your business so yes, could you have done yeah. it could you have done it without that uh definitely not <laughs> no i wouldn't have i wouldn't <laughs> have thought so either. That's yeah, key. yeah and and what we've found with um with the the people in the roles um we have two different people because one one has a natural skill set in being really creative and creating this content and it's um, that side of thing. And the other one is really analytical and will look at this, the stats and the data and not one of them could do the other thing. So we have to have the, um, that's what I mean when I say I delegate, I, well, I delegate and I believe in hiring people that are experts in their areas yeah. Um, because yeah, those different personality types aren't necessarily going to be good on the creative side as well as the analytical side, unfortunately. Yeah, no, I totally get that and totally agree. Um, what's driving the extension business? I don't just mean your salon, but um, you must have seen, you know, I alluded to what extensions were like when I started hairdressing, you know, before you were born. Um and they're very different now. And the extension business seems to continually just be growing all over the world. What, what are the things, I mean, you just mentioned social media, I suppose that's part of the answer here. Uh, what are the things that are driving the popularity of um, extensions? I think that it's because uh, more from a referral base, there's a lot of people obviously, once there's a lot of people getting them, they're then telling their friends and family about them and they're realizing like oh okay they don't extensions aren't just these horrible blonde things that you might see yeah. that are really obvious on Britney Spears in a magazine wow I never thought you had extensions maybe I maybe they're for me after all people that mm. would never have thought that they were going to look natural or um you know be the way they are are mm. uh, getting exposed to it and that's sort of uh, creating that accumulative effect I think on that it's not just people that want the really obvious look and the celebrity look yeah. it's actually can be for someone that you would never think would be interested in having them but it is going to help their hair so much and their and their confidence I guess yeah and you'd never know they had them in there unless you know right. you were shown or they told you yeah. and, and that's always the yeah, thing isn't it it's it's like that misconception it's like it's like toupees, you know, people go, oh, my God, you can always tell when a guy's got a toupee on. Well, the only reason you can tell is because it's a bad toupee. If it was a good toupee, you'd right. never know that they had a toupee on, you know. So it's yeah. a bit like that with hair extensions. If they're bad and obvious, then, of course, it's like, oh, my God, why would you want, you know, hair extensions? But uh, uh, if they're well done, you don't even know that they're extensions in the first place. So, yeah, okay. Right, um, so far. Like the, all the different methods now, all the different options, they can, that's the thing now, they actually are, uh, when they're done correctly, they are so natural looking. 
Yeah, that you wouldn't know. Okay. So if I'm a salon owner and I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, this sounds like something that we should be offering, um, what would you say to them that they should start doing to integrate extensions into their business? What would be a way to sort of dip a toe in the water, so to speak? Well, firstly, I think that absolutely should be doing it because even if you are just talking to your regular client base about what they could do for their hair, you're going to have some clients that instantly are interested, definitely. Mm -hmm. Um, So probably doing, and there's so much education that you can do now, whether it's online education. I know that the Jador brand we use has their online portal. So you can literally buy an education video for like $99 or something. Mm -hmm. Um, From that through to going to getting someone into the salon to train your team or going to a masterclass, that kind of thing getting dipping your toe in by learning a bit about it and then um i think just having a small offering like hair on on hand in the salon so that if someone's interested you can you can pretty quickly uh, go about doing it and then all you have to do is start advertising it because once you start showing that on your if it's social media that you use like most people once you start showing that on your social media on your website the before and afters then that's obviously then starts to um snowball with it Mm, so the setup costs are not ridiculous to get started. You can get in there at a fairly low cost point of entry. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Most I found that most extension brands have um fairly low cost opening packages. It's nothing, yeah. it's nothing crazy at all. Right. Okay. And I know in your salons you you do they're primarily extension salons, but you also yeah. do just regular haircut and colour, blow dries, whatever. Um, I'm curious about the profitability uh, between the two. Is the extension side of your business more profitable, you know, than the other side of your business, or is it difficult to separate that out? Uh, it is. It is more profitable. Uh, extensions have gone up in price over the years. I I feel like that's definitely happened. But um, if you do them well and you create a name for yourself, then you're able to charge that little bit above for your um, for your skill set and for your reputation. Um, and that's probably where you've got that profit coming in, I think. Okay, interesting. And well, what about the retail component? Is, you know, because clients have got hair in their head that isn't theirs, um, yeah. there's this perception that I've certainly got, I might be completely wrong, that you need specific products for it. Am I right with that? Or is it no, you can pretty much use any, you know, good professional hair care brands? No, it's definitely that you should be using um, hair extension tailored products. There are some products in most ranges that you can use. But, uh, for example, that the brand that we use has their own hair care line. Um, From a business perspective, it's actually fantastic because your retail percentage should be higher when you're an extension salon. You've got people that can't just use their regular shampoo and conditioner that they've already got at home. They really need to be buying the right products and extensions will need moisture. So you've got a lot of products that you need to recommend, moisture masks, moisture treatments those sort of things that that go hand in hand. So the extent the retail is actually fantastic for extensions. Right. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. So yeah, another another profit center. Um, are, are your retail sales, this isn't specifically to do really with um, you know, the extension side of your business, but just as a generalization, I'm always curious to find out is is your retail growing? Or is it shrinking or is it plateaued? Uh, depending on the country you're in and, um, you know, e-commerce, et cetera, there's certain trends that are happening. So I'm curious as to what you're finding with that. Is it pretty much the same as it was, say, 10 years ago? Or is it is it uh, shrinking or growing? I would say ours is pretty much the same. We sit around about the 15% mark on a, on a good month. Yeah. Um, range is 13 to 15% on average. We can have months higher than that, but... That would sort of be the average. Um, and I do feel like it's been like pretty stable on that, actually. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's good. Well, again, I suppose it's that um, the fact that you specialize in something and I'm going to see an expert and the expert says, this is what you need to use. And, you know, so there's there's less likelihood of just, you know, popping off somewhere else to get it. So, okay, look, we need to, we need to start wrapping up in a couple of minutes, but I, I want to ask you a couple of things about, you as a as a person uh, professionally, um, what what's your biggest strength? What would you say that was? 
Um, my biggest strength, <laughs> uh, probably being quite analytical and detail focused has probably been a strength to help me grow the business, I would say. Okay. So you're very into the numbers of what's going on in the business. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very particular on that um, and don't like taking a lot of risk. I'm very like making sure that things are calculated correctly and um, like to feel a lot, of, a lot of control. The downside is that I'm not very creative. Surprisingly, I know most hairdressers are creatives, but I'm the downside is that I'm not very creative and I struggle with my social media. Uh, I struggle with putting myself out there in a really, um, mm. you know, public space, those sort of things. So that's the that's the opposite side to it. Right. Okay. What, what has being in business, what's the most important thing that, that being in business has taught you in life? Um, trying to have balance wherever balance is possible because um, uh, probably I think eight, nine years ago, I got glandular fever and ended up with chronic fatigue and really probably nearly lost it all. Um, so now I'm a big believer in trying to have as much balance as possible or or at least putting little rituals into the day that help you feel a bit more balanced um, yeah. because otherwise it does it, – I'm talking to business owners, we're all the same. We sort of merge the two and constantly working and I'm, I'm definitely that person. So um, trying to make sure that I put those um, – there's boundaries and balance in place. Okay. Well, what do you what do you wish you were better at? I wish I was better at the that sort of PR PR um, career, um, marketing side and putting myself out there more. Um, even this, I've had to have a glass of wine before. <laughs> You've probably seen it <laughs> because it is not something that I it's not my natural state of um, comfortability. But um, I do believe in you know pushing yourself where you can. But uh, I see a lot of salons or I see a lot of businesses that are a lot more successful when they put their face to their social media and that sort of thing. Um, so I try, but that's definitely not my um, not my forte. So I think I wish I was more in that way, that way inclined rather. Okay. Well, I think you've done a great job. I can't see any reason why you shouldn't do that more. But um, you mentioned the word balance a couple of times there and you, you said how you had um, – uh, was it glandular fever or chronic fatigue syndrome? Yeah. Um, and and the word balance came up a couple of times. And so the last thing I want to ask you about is how do you find balance between being a businesswoman, a hairdresser, uh, a mum, uh, two very little children, uh, a wife? Um, if if you know, I know that the majority of people that listen to this are like you. They're they're women with young families and a business and a husband and other stuff going on. Maybe their business isn't as big as yours, but they'll often say to me, "How does she manage to do all this? Is there is there any particular you know thing that you would say to them? Is that this needs to be your mantra? This needs to be your priority or whatever it is." Um, I think for me, the biggest thing was um, whenever I could afford it, I was um, not so reluctant to to bring people in to help me because I think it's really easy to just keep holding on to all the tasks and doing it all yourself. Mm. Uh, whereas I found that obviously it's not straight away that you can afford a whole team of people, but along the way I built it up to of whenever I could afford it, I'd bring people in to help me because otherwise um, you really can't grow it. You can't do it all. Mm. And, um, you know, the, the, the mum thing is new to me. Obviously, they're, they're two, two little ones. My youngest is 11 months. So I'm still in the thick of that and really um, most days not not killing it, definitely not killing it. <laughs> There's plenty of breakdowns, but no, I kind of just have to keep reminding myself that it's not forever. They'll be going off to school in a few years and then I'll get that, you know, eight to five time back in my life. Um, yeah. but and you'll be wishing, just- you'll be wishing yeah. that you weren't in such a hurry to end that time. Um, I can tell yeah, you that. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> okay. exactly. So. Well, um, listen, we need to start wrapping up. Whereabouts can people connect with you on Instagram or other social media channels? Yeah, so my my name, Emily, is spelled a little bit annoyingly weird. It's double L. So it's E-M-I-L-L-Y-H-A-D-R-I-L-L for Hadril, Emily Hadril, hair extensions. Okay, I didn't know that either. So I'll make sure I correct all the... Uh... 
all the headings would go out so yeah okay well look i'll put those links uh on our website which is growmysalonbusiness.com and they'll also be in the show notes for today's podcast uh if you're listening to this podcast with emily hadrill and have enjoyed it then do me a favor take a screenshot on your phone share it to your instagram stories and don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and review on the apple podcast app so to wrap up emily with double l um thank you for being on this week's episode of the grow my salon business podcast oh it's been great thanks so much for having me the pleasure was mine thank you thank you for listening to today's podcast if you'd like to connect with us you'll find us at growmysalonbusiness.com or on facebook and instagram at growmysalonbusiness and if you enjoyed tuning into our podcast, make sure that you subscribe, like, and share it with your friends. Until next time, this is Anthony Whitaker wishing you continued success.